step Ask her out and treat her like a lady Second step Tell her she's the one you're dreaming of Third step Take her in your arms and never let her go Don't you know step My next artist, Scott played their signature song. This, uh, without a doubt, the, the, the song that Scott played was the Charlie Daniels band, The Devil Went Down to Georgia. And you think, all right, was there another hit? Ah, there was. So, riding the wave of The Devil Went Down to Georgia, a few months later, this song ends up going to number 11. Sounds kind of like The Devil Went Down to Georgia, okay. but that's not what it is. What was happening at the time? Scott and I did an entire podcast on the 1980 men's Olympic hockey team and how the conflict with the Russians, what was happening politically, played a large part in uh, the emotion that was poured out over that team. Sure. Well, this song is released right about that time. Yeah. So this is coming at this hits number 11 in August of 1980, right when we are boycotting the Summer Olympics. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, he talks about the Russians in the song. Yeah, he does. <laughs> I mean, he's not, he's not it, hiding it's, it. It's very much of the moment. The thing I, I thought was so cool about the Charlie Daniels band, and you know, you and I talked about how we cut our teeth on rock and roll music. The Charlie Daniels band was about as close as country got to like straight up in your face rock and roll because mm-hmm. the, the the pickings fast. Yeah, the fiddles fast. And it's it's very aggressive. It's it's an aggressive country band, much different than you would probably hear, like from a Mickey Gilly or a Johnny Lee or you know it's just you, name your name your artist. But these guys these guys stood out because they were different than a lot of other country artists and very much southern rock. 
I mean, if they they were part of the country music scene, but they easily had they just been released as a new artist, they could have been right out there with Thirty Eight Special and Molly Hatchet and bands like that. Yeah, I mean, it, it not that far different, far removed from Leonard Skinner. Uh, absolutely right, and you know, Charlie Daniels for for like one year was super hot. I mean, he. I don't know that a song like that would have charted at any other time, but coming off The Devil Went Down to Georgia, this, you know, I, that's why it was kind of a back-to-back because people already knew that song. And like you said, you know, timing is everything. And when this song hits its peak on the charts, he's he's speaking for a lot of people. You know, he's speaking for a lot of Americans who were going through a lot of frustrating times at that time. And and he's basically, you know, it's it's kind of a defiant song yeah to the world but i think for americans it was pretty optimistic saying hey we're gonna get out of this right right so we're gonna say in 1980 and a completely different song and i think what we're gonna hear is it's a ballad but we're gonna hear a duet with uh, you know an artist that was on on scott's list but with a country artist with definitely much more of a rock artist so i'm gonna play this song and this song give you a little um Heads up, this one goes to number four in the charts. Just look at you Sitting there You never looked better than tonight And it'd be so easy To tell you I'd stay like I've done so many times I was so sure This would be the night You closed the door and walked to stay with me And it'd be so easy What year did you say this came out? 1980. So this was before or after Betty Davis Eyes? It would have been before. It would have been before. Yeah. Yeah. So this was, I have down here that this hit the, the highest, the peak position was, it hit number four, and it was in, looks like, um, May of 1980. Okay. May 24th, 1980. Okay. Wow. And I don't know that we would have known who Kim Carnes was prior to this and that's Kenny Rogers singing with King Carnes yeah I'm not sure um because I think Betty Davis Eyes ends up coming in like 1981 I think yeah it came out after it came out yeah 1981 was Betty Davis Eyes for sure yeah and you know Kim Carnes has that raspy kind of rock voice she does yeah and I really liked I really liked her voice. I really liked Bonnie Tyler's voice, but same same similar kind of sound. Sure. And Kenny Rogers did some of the best duets 
He did. Now, out there. why do you think that was? Why was he someone that, you know, I, I almost, or I should finish the sentence, why was he someone that got matched up and paired up in duets? I, I almost played the song he did with Dottie West. Oh, How About Us? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a great song, too. And that was Dottie West's last song she ever it charted. The, it's the only Dottie West song that I was aware of. Yeah. Because she passed away very shortly yeah. after that song was uh, released you got in a because you could i mean car accident kenny you know dolly parton yeah you know you talked about that being a number one song islands on the stream it's so i mean there's three huge hits that he had as duets huge hits yeah you know i there's something to be said about a an, an artist who knows how to work with somebody else right and i think that is you know kenny rogers one of my favorite kenny rogers songs isn't even a, a chartable song it's a christmas song and it's called Mary Did You Know that he did a duet with Winona. And it's one of the best Christmas songs, one of my favorite Christmas songs uh, that I have. Okay. And I think, uh, you know, with, I don't know, he just, he had a way, it, it, and Kenny has such a, a distinctive voice that just harmonized very well. He, you know, he was, he was in a band before he broke out solo. Uh, and it was, but so obviously, uh, you know, a guy who knows how to sing duets or, or harmonize with somebody else is it it means a lot right well he certainly was successful with that now i'm going to go back into the 70s i know i'm jumping around a little bit but and and here here's an artist where i'm kind of glad when scott played the song that he played from this artist he didn't choose this song because this is my personal favorite song from this artist and without a doubt our listeners are going to recognize this song He was born in the summer of his 27th year Coming home to a place he'd never been before He left yesterday behind him You might say he was born again You might say he found the key for every door When he first came to the mountains His life was far away on the road hanging by a song But the string's already broken And he doesn't really care It keeps changing fast And it don't last long Ladies and gentlemen, John Deutschendorf Yes, does have quite the same ring as no, John Denver John Denver sounds better I bet this song had a lot to do with people moving to Colorado. Well, and again, I know we talked about it when when I mentioned John Denver. Is it such a stripped down? You know, this song. What year was this? Nineteen seventy-three. Nineteen seventy-three. And this hit number nine. And think of some of the think of some of the music that was out at that time, and all the production value involved. This is this is such a bare bare bones recording right and it's but yet it accentuates his his singing ability you know you just have two guitars a mandolin you know a little bit of a bass behind you it's just 
something that you would you could hear in like a restaurant or or a, you know a very small nightclub. But You're at the campfire singing along. Exactly. Yeah. You and you can, it contrasts this with uh, the Charlie Rich song um, that you you played, where he had like the orchestra in the, the background. Most beautiful girl. The I most mean, beautiful girl. That has a heavy, heavy production. There's right. A, there's an orchestra in that in that particular song. Right. Exactly. And this is, you know, John just sitting down on a microphone. Yeah. And singing, and it gives me chills. I I, I think that's a great song. And you know, to, to read some of the story about John Denver, and you know, he he worked so hard. To become successful, and not only did he become successful, it it became, and it, I'm not talking about just Don, John Denver because I'm sure it's happened to so many artists where you become so popular that it becomes kind of like stifling, like claustrophobic. Like John Denver had one of the most recognizable faces in the mm-hmm. world, sure, and I'm sure he probably couldn't go anywhere without drawing some kind of attention or getting mobbed. And he said he really struggled with that. Well, he had such a distinct look. He did. Kind of had that bull haircut and glasses. He looked a little bit like an older version of Oliver from the Brady <laughs> That's Bunch. exactly what I was thinking, yeah. <laughs> right. So, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, there was it, it was probably... There probably weren't too many places in the world that John Denver would have gone in 1973, 74, 75, where he wasn't going to be recognized. Yeah. And that's tough. That that would have... You know, people would think, oh, come on, you're, you're, you're a celebrity, but... I mean, come on. It, to, to not be able to go anywhere and and not have any piece of, of privacy. Right. Where people feel like, oh, hey, come on, you're not going to talk to me. You're going to big time me. <laughs> right, you know, exactly. I, you know, you could just, you could definitely, you could see it. And I, yeah, but I, I feel for people like that because, you know, you can't, you can't get a moment's breath. And they, and they talk about how, how, how stifling it can be to just, your life because you you have no freedom you can't go with places and right um but you know that's the cost of success and it is and you know it it's kind of interesting to have lived through the phenomenon that was john denver because you know we talked about him being in movies and you know his singing and his television show and you know, we, we experienced it and, and i definitely remember him being a huge deal and you know when sean and i when we used to go down the road here to the turkey hill in um in Nesville, you know, since we do have the largest podcast in Nesville, you know, we, we, we could not walk into the Turkey Hill. And then what did they do? They closed I, that's, well, they, they couldn't handle the crowds anymore. <laughs> they closed it. <laughs> right, right. All right, so let's move on to my, my next artist. And you're going to get to hear, this, 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 there's going to be some a two-time appearance by, by someone here because there's some duets that are going on. So, because um, Scott kind of played... The uh, the one that I would have played number one. We're going to go with Waylon Jennings, the only two but not by himself. He's got his pal Willie with him. So you get a two for here. Guitars are too good and firm, feeling women. I don't need my name in the marquee lights. I got my song and I got you with me tonight. Maybe it's time we got back to the basics of love. Let's go to Luke and Buck, Texas Wailing and Willie and the boys This successful life we're living Got us feuding like the Hatfields and McCoys Between Hank Williams' pain songs Newberry's train songs And blue eyes crying in the rain 
Out in Lucan, Bach, Texas Ain't nobody feeling no pain So, Waylon Jennings, who kind of pioneered the outlaw country sound, and you talked about that with Willie, because Willie was part of the outlaw country right. scene, but this went to number 25 in 1977. Okay. And I, I was kind of surprised it was that high of a hit, but... You know, that outlaw movement was, was something, and this, I believe, is what directly led to Waylon getting cast, uh, you know, it, with the Dukes of Hazard. Tell me you don't miss artists with the distinctive voices Well, you can anymore. hear, it, there's pain in his voice. But it's just such... An emotion. A, it's, such a, it's such a distinct... Yeah. You know, and Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson... You know, there's just so many, so many singers on our list here that they just stand out so much just by the tone of their voice. Like, if you'd never heard this song before, and you were mildly familiar with Waylon, say you only knew him from the theme for the Dukes of Hazard, yeah. and I gave you multiple choice, I think you probably would have come up with Waylon Jennings. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Now, Willie does come in at the very, very end of this. He's got a cameo. There he is. Yeah, the, the outlaw, the outlaws, which, you know, we mentioned Waylon, uh, Willie Nelson, Johnny Cash, Chris Christopherson. Mm-hmm. You know, those guys kind of banded together. Well, they were the highwaymen. And more the highway in the eighties. In the eighties, yeah. But there was this, there was this movement of music down in the te- in the Texas area, right? I believe it was around the Dallas Austin area, somewhere around there. These guys were. They kind of felt like they were getting the door closed on them in Nashville. So they're like, well, they they were kind of came up with their own brand of country music, and it became hugely popular. Right. Right. Uh, started started down in the in the southwest and then just kind of gradually spread to the rest of the country and and for quite a period the highwaymen weren't they they ended up doing stuff in the later 80s weren't they 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 were yeah yeah so i mean you're talking about a 15 year period there it was but so you have willie nelson there he's featured prominently as part of the outlaw sound but then in 1984 willie has another duet not not with an outlaw per se but with Mr. Julio Iglesias. Who saw this coming? <laughs> it certainly wasn't me. To all the girls I've loved before Who travel in and out my door I'm glad they came along I dedicate this song To all the girls I've Ooh, Julio. Ah, yes. I don't know, for some reason, it was out around the same time, but on Saturday Night Live, when Billy Crystal would do his Fernando impression, Mm -hmm. and he would say, you look marvelous. It was kind of around the same time that the song came out. Okay. So every time I, I hear Julio Iglesias sing, I kind of envision Billy Crystal 
as, uh, as Fernando. And of course, uh, Julio is the father of Enrique Iglesias, who goes on to have a big career later. But uh, he, was, he was a very established singer at this point, just not on the U.S. charts. You're right. He was known internationally. I, if I'm not mistaken, was this his first English song? As far as I know. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm not an expert on Julio Iglesias, but I had never heard of him before this song. Right. Yeah, he was from Spain and had recorded for probably... He and Willie were very close in age. Probably. They were probably yeah. in their 50s. Yeah. Right around 50. And, you know, whoever put these two together, you know, whatever record executive decided that this would be a good idea that was a stroke of genius <laughs> i mean it went to number five on the charts and it was looks like uh about may of 1984 maybe it was david foster or mutt lang uh, <laughs> who knows whoever it was i mean they, they were thinking outside the box and it certainly worked sure it was a huge hit i didn't care for it at the time but i like sappy. it now a little sappy. i, I, I kind of like it now I, yeah. I can appreciate it but in 1984 you know, coming off uh, Def Leppard and Van Halen, I wasn't really into this. However, I can totally appreciate it now. Well, I mean, this to me was a little, like I said, it was a little sappy. The um, always on my mind for me was I, I liked it from the jump. I thought it was a great. Yes. I thought it was just a great, simple uh, love song. True, but because Scott played that and it was already in my list. <laughs> so when you folks do go to see my list and it is Gen X Country Crossover, you will see how many songs we doubled up on and why I picked two songs okay. every time. So, yes, that was the one I was going with. That was my personal favorite, but they both charted and went number five. Okay. So that was a big song as well. Now, here's a song by an artist that, that Scott picked, but he did not go with her number one hit, her, her biggest hit. So I'm going to go with it. Shower and the blood starts pumping Out on the streets the traffic starts jumping With folks like me on the job from nine to five Now, Scott, I don't know, is there a Gen Xer out there that doesn't know Dolly Parton in 9 to 5? I wonder how many listeners saw, have seen the movie. Like well, we it, saw it in the theater. We saw it in the theater, and, I, and that's what I was going to mention. And it was hilarious. Yeah. You know, Lily Tomlin, um, the, uh, Jane Fonda, Jane Fonda and was Dolly Parton. And Dabney Coleman. And Dabney Coleman played, was, the, played was the, the boss that they kidnapped. And they were... I actually just watched it not that long oh, really? ago. Yeah, oh, I haven't was, seen it since it, we saw it in the theater. It was on TV, and Amy and I actually sat and watched the whole thing. Because this was a hit in 1981, so that movie came out end of 80, probably the Christmas season, would be yeah. my guess. I remember as we saw it as a family, and I remember we all thought it was hysterical. Oh, yeah. And I, I kind of read a little bit of, a, of the story of the making of 9 to 5, and how... Yeah, Dolly Parton really wanted, really wanted the part. She really wanted to be a part of the movie. Jane Fonda had already, she was kind of like the the one who kind of tied it, put everything together. Mm -hmm. It's her idea, 
and she got Lily Tomlin in. Dolly Parton was the third of the three to be a part of that of that trio. Um, but if you watch her performance on there, Lily Tomlin, one of the great comedic actresses from you know Laughing and, and just a very prolific uh, comedian, Jane Fonda, you know, big movie star at that particular time. Dolly Parton, she was maybe the best of the three in the movie. She was great. She was she was arguably arguably the most memorable. I mean, she was funny. She was really funny. And she was a good actress in that yeah. movie. And I don't know if she really acted much before that. That was her first part. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was her first part. And I and I just it just goes to show you know, Dolly Parton, what a talent. You know, all the songs that she's written, you know, it was well documented that she wrote I Will Always Love You, the Whitney Houston song mm-hmm. from The Bodyguard. And uh, you know, just a prolific songwriter, um, great entertainer, great businesswoman. Yeah. I mean, she owns Dollywood, and she's a millionaire many, many times over. Right. You know, she's had such a great career. She has. She has. It, you know, in many ways, she's right up there with, you know, I talk about Johnny Cash being one of the all-time greats. She's up there with Elvis and, you know, all, some of the, you know, the iconic of, of all iconic entertainers in American history. Dolly's right there. She is a household name. Yeah. I, I mean, I think even, I think still to this day, you say the name Dolly Parton and people are going to know who you're talking Everybody about. Everybody knows who she is. Yeah. I, I bet there, it's gonna be, you're going to be hard-pressed to find anybody who doesn't know the name. So that was Dolly Parton yeah, with 9 to 5. Uh, a number, what did I say, that that went to, that was a number one hit, yeah, yeah for two was. weeks Yeah. in uh, February of 1981. Moving on to my next artist and song. It's, uh, it's a song Scott wanted to talk about. Before we're ready to talk about it. So here we are with the Oak Ridge Boys with Bobby So. Listen to that guitar. So was this a song that Bud requested at the skating rink? No, he requested Elvira. But just Elvira, he didn't go. He didn't like go back and then request this one. No, but this this was uh, like I said before before you shushed me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we had to save something for me. That was. Uh, I thought this was a more fun song. I I enjoyed it, and listening to it now, it's it really does kind of fit the time of 1982. Right, and so. Elvira goes to number five in July of 81. So a few months later, so or, you know, in March of 82, you get Bobby Sue, which goes to number 12. Right. I, yeah. You know, another one of those songs, kind of like the Charlie Daniels band with America. I don't know if it's going to chart if it's not following the previous song. That's a good point. Yeah. It was, and this album stayed on the charts for a very long time. I think the album was called Fancy Free or something okay. like that. But, you know, as far as the song goes, I'm, I like this one better. I like uh, I like the the, the bass. Uh, you know, it's Elvira's an iconic song. Sure. Uh, but, yeah, you're right. This one, I think I enjoyed a little bit more. Right. 
So that is the Oak Ridge Boys with Bobby Sue. Uh, their second highest charting song on the Billboard charts. Not quite as high as Elvira, which they're mostly known for, but still solid number 12 uh, for the Oak Ridge Boys. Now, I'm going to play the an artist here who I really liked. And they were big. Now, the song that I'm going to play goes to number 15. It's 1982. I think that this... They, this group may have been bigger than where they charted, but they, they had a nice, nice run through most of the 80s, at least on the pop charts. That is the band Alabama. Yeah, and around this time, they were the biggest country act in, in America that, at that time. And they crossed over quite a bit. They did, and I debated about whether or not to, to go with them. Um, just a decision, but I have gone back, and I wasn't... When Alabama was... When these songs were coming out, I kind of strayed away a little bit from some of the country songs, but... Since I've come back, um, I, was this the Mountain Music album? Mm, but not sure. If, if it wasn't Mountain Music, it was right around there. But Mountain Music is is a really really good album. If you if you haven't listened to the whole thing, I recommend it. Well, I know the song. Yeah, it's one of my yeah. one of my favorite songs too. But uh, yeah, Alabama. They were. I just remember them performing at on TV at some awards show. And I think they were billed at the time as the number one country band in the world. And this was right around this time. So Nice harmonies. I mean, they, you had the blending of the voices. I actually saw them live. I saw them at the York Fairground. Did you? And I'm going to say it was probably 1988-89. Okay. And they were still they yeah. were still on the charts at the time. It, it was, it was a, you know, a, a major... They were the headlining act okay. for one night of, of the fair, yeah. and it, it was full. Yeah. Yeah, Alabama, they had a great, great career, especially in the uh, the 80s and 90s. They were still making albums. I remember driving to broadcasting school with my classmate, Lee Feldman, who was a big country music fan. And I remember he was so excited, he played me a song off of their new album. It was called The Cheap Seats. Yeah. And it was a song about, you know, going to minor league baseball. I remember that one, yeah, sure. He was yeah. he loved that song. Yeah, so. it's a good song. So, uh, you know, uh, that closes out most of the 80s for me. I'm not sure I might I might have another one pop in here, but uh, let's let's so we we began this episode where Scott kind of, you know, plays a song that that's kind of like a reference to the Phillies. Well, I I have an artist here, Scott, who happens to be a country music star who has okay. a connection to the 1980 Phillies. Can you guess who that is? Is this a slight connection? Yeah. 
Also a connection to maybe one of the artists that I played as well. Well, that artist is going to appear in this song also. So this is Tim McGraw, the son of the Phillies legend Tug McGraw and his wife Faith Hill. Dancing in the dark, middle of the night, taking your heart and holding it tight. Emotional touch, touching my skin. And asking you to do what you've been doing all over again Oh, it's a beautiful thing Don't think I can keep it all in I just gotta let you know What it is that won't let me go It's your love It just does something to me It sends a shock right through me I can't Very much of that sound of the late '90s. This is 1997. Yeah. And you know the the song you played by Faith Hill was this kiss, which was the following year in '98 went to number seven with with Faith Hill's song. This goes to number seven. Okay. And Tim McGraw's a dude. I mean, yeah. he really has had a great great career. Much much in the same vein. He's he's in many ways he's a throwback to some of the names that we talked about in the early 70s like the the Mac Davises the you know the guys who have had such a full career not only in music cuz he alone is a hall of famer in his craft as a musician mm-hmm. but he's been able to transition into some of these movie roles that are iconic yeah uh, most recently watching him and Faith Play husband and wife on the show 1883. Okay, which is part oh, of yeah, the Yellowstone right. franchise. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Have you seen? Have you seen it? I saw part of it. I, I saw a couple episodes with him. And I'm telling you, both of them are remarkable in that role. It's it, you know, it's part of the Yellowstone franchise. It's a prequel to the current day Yellowstone with Kevin Costner. So Faith Hill and Tim McGraw play this husband and wife that are basically settling in the area that the Yellowstone ranches to this day and the trials and tribulations of going on the Oregon Trail and having to deal with that and they are awesome as actors and as you know portraying family and of course they have a little bit of a disadvantage because they are married in real life but they're they're both of them are really good actors right and as I said there's the connection where the 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 great Phillies closer, Tug McGraw, is his father. So, you know, Phillies fans, um, you know, he's always been one of our own. So it's um, always good to point out to, you know, uh, Tim McGraw and Faith Hill, one of the, the biggest power couples if ever there was. I mean, we, you know, you go back to the early days where you might have had uh, George and Tammy. You could have uh, June and Johnny. But I think you know, in the modern days, you're not going to get bigger than Tim and Faith. And that they've had such a, such a long career, and they they do their, their own stuff. They do a lot of stuff together, mm-hmm. and you know that. Like I said, they're really a throwback to an, an era from even before our generation. Right. 
They they are. So my next artist uh, kind of burst on the scene in the, the end of the 90s. So in about 1998, uh, these three ladies came out with this song, and it is called There's Your Trouble. And they were then known as the Dixie Chicks, they're now known as the Chicks. Immensely popular. Oh yeah, hugely popular. And they were they were a band that really struggled. Uh, the, you know, the two sisters they had a different lead singer uh, yeah, in the late eighties and the right. early nineties. And it wasn't until Natalie Means, I think her name is Means, took over as the lead singers when they kind of got their snap. And again, they they got they were hugely popular mm-hmm. in the nineties. Now this song went to number thirty six. So, you know, we're not talking number one, we're not talking number seven, like uh, the Tim McGraw and Faith Hill song, but still, uh, for a very country-sounding song where you kind of have the country instruments being played. You do, and and the, uh, you know, the two sisters are wonderful instrumentalists. I mean, they play multiple instruments. It's very, very similar to, you know, we had talked about variety shows. And we had mentioned the Mandrell sisters and right. how musical the Mandrell family was. And kind of a similar setting here in that uh, you got some really good musicians that have been playing their entire lives. And it took the, the magic of getting a new front person mm-hmm. to sing their songs, and then all of a sudden they take off. Right. So here you go. That's the Dixie Chicks. Once again, the end of the 90s. Seems like there was a lot of country music happening right at the end of the 90s, and that was 1998. And I, I think it's important to mention again, you know, we talked about Garth Brooks, how he really didn't have anything that charted on the Billboard charts, but he was so popular that I think it allowed some of these other bands to have those crossover hits because Garth Brooks sold so many, I think he said all kinds of records in, in album sales. That it, it yeah. really did set, I think it gave the record companies the confidence to start pushing these these bands to do crossover stuff. I got to admit, I was stunned when Garth was not really on the list. Yeah. I, I He was like on my preliminary list, and then when I went on to Billboard to see, hey, where did Low Places uh, chart? And it did not chart. Yeah, I, I he was one of the first names that I thought of too, because like I said... I think he sold the most albums in the 90s. I had his greatest hits album that came out still in the 90s. I mm-hmm. think it was. And I mean, that was a huge selling album. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember playing Friends in Low Places off of the CD yeah. that I purchased probably in 1999. Yeah. And I was starting to play that at, at uh, parties and receptions. Right. So now the, the next artist I'm going to play is someone that, I mean, she definitely was a country singer. I don't know if everybody realizes she was a country singer, so I'll pull her and you can figure it out. 
So this is Jewel with Who Will Save Your Soul, and this came out in 1996 and went to number 11. Yeah, it was big. It was a very popular song, and, and this album that Jewel had, I think it had three pretty big, big-time hits on it. Do you Would you have considered her a country artist when she no. first came out? I knew she was from Alaska, right. and she has a yodeling background, right? but I never really associated her with country But music. that was kind of the genre that she was lumped in, at okay. least when she came out. Okay. But like I said, I just remember hearing this on pop radio, but, you know, you go to Wikipedia, I promise you, it says country artist. Okay. You know? All right, I believe you. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, when, you know, she was extremely popular there, kind of in the, in the mid-90s. You know, you can kind of lump her in with, with Leanne Rimes, you know, somebody like that, that kind of like that 96 to the end of the decade, very popular. Yeah. Yeah, she was she was a big deal, and that even crossed over into the early 2000s. She had a, a, a pretty major six-year career on the charts. She had about two or three albums that, that charted extremely well. Right. So, you know, that's Jewel, and, you know, I had mentioned with this next artist that I'm going to play that you can't have a female country artist, especially of the 90s, without having this artist. And so it's kind of, a, you know, which song do you pick? Do you, you go with the one that was the biggest hit or... One that was kind of like the first one where I, I she kind of came on my radar. I'm going with the first one. And that's Shania Twain from 1995 mm-hmm. uh, with Any Man of Mine. And that only went to number 31, Okay, surprisingly. But that's, I remember kind of seeing her for the first time. You know, I, I still remember the seeing, I was at a Flyers game, like right about this time. And up on, they played this video during an intermission, like okay. up on the jum- jumbo screen. Okay. Yeah, I remember the, on this album, I think she was on Oprah. And sang the song "Whose Bed of Your Boots Been Under." Yeah, right. Yeah, and that was uh, that was my first memory of her. So I I knew who Shania Twain was before the big album "Come On Over" okay. came out. And again, you know, I mentioned my former classmate Lee that we used to share car rides to and from Reading together. He was he was a big big Shania Twain fan from this album. Mm-hmm. I remember he he said. 
Oh man, she's going to be a superstar. She's, you know, she's right. beautiful and she's talented. Yeah, and she had Mutt Lang producing her. Yeah, and and I, you know, when you when you go back, and you can you can hear the slick production. You can in Come On Over. Yeah, but even though this is well done, this still has a little bit more of a country sound to it. She's still a, a country artist now. I debated playing this one or kind of, you know, one of her biggest songs, which was You're Still the One, which went to number two in 1998. Right. And that doesn't have a whole lot of a country sound to it. Right. But this one definitely did. It does. Yeah. Right. So, you know, if you want, I'm going to go with my next artist and I'm going to go with a real country sound. And I wanted to get this singer on my list because back in the 90s, I really liked him. Uh, you know, he was one of my favorite country singers, but for the most part, he didn't chart on Billboard. He, for the most part, he was strictly country. But this was his, one of his biggest crossover hits, at least in the 90s. Well, way down yonder on the Chattahoochee, it gets hotter than a hoochie coochie. We laid rubber on the Georgia asphalt We got a little crazy but we never got caught Down by the river on a Friday night Hearing little cans in the pale moonlight Talking about cars and dreaming about women Never had a plan just to live in for the minute Yeah, way down yonder on the Chattahoochee Never knew how much that muddy water meant to me But I learned how to swim and I learned who I was A lot about living and a little about love so that's Alan Jackson. This was 1993. This only went to number 46. Okay. But that's about as high as you're going to get an Alan Jackson song probably in the 90s. You know, Alan Jackson was one of those, you know, as Garth Brooks was starting to ascend into being who Garth Brooks became mm-hmm. to be, uh, you know, Alan Jackson was as important to country music as what Garth was around this time. Yeah, this really caught people by storm when when this album came out in the early 90s. And it was kind of like a breath of fresh air because it kind of went back to roots country music. Yes, he was a complete throwback. Yeah, and I think that's what people liked about it. A singer-songwriter who was not afraid to be country. Right. And he came out with some really good songs at this time. This is this this is an album that people should go back and revisit. Yeah, I mean this is this is one that you know it's not my favorite, but this is the one that that charted. But you know he just number one country hit after number one country hit. If you go back during that time from basically the early '90s all the way through today, yeah. an incredible string of hits. Yeah, and uh, you know if you want to check out some Alan Jackson songs, uh, remember when great love song. Yeah, he was he was he was a great uh, great artist in the early right, 90s. Right, right. So I'm going to close it up and with my final artist. You're going to get an artist I've already played, and I'm breaking my own rule. And this is an artist that did this song does not chart. Take this job and shove it. <laughs> no, that charted. <laughs> I wanted to play that one, but you played it. But I have to play this because this artist had such a, a revival of his career in the 90s that I just had to work one of his songs in and they had a video for it you wired me awake and hit me with a hand of broken nail 
You tied my lead and pulled my chain to watch my blood begin to boil. But I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage and run. Jenna Cash, during the, uh, the Rick Rubin years, where Rick Rubin took Johnny off the scrap heap. Johnny didn't believe in himself at this point. Rick Rubin, for whatever reasons, kind of developed this fascination with Johnny Cash. Yeah. And you're right, kind of made it a personal project. It started just feeding him these volumes of songs that other people wrote. This is a Soundgarden song. Yeah, and, and this is you know if if anyone remembers the song, you know Chris Cornell screaming, his voice. You know Chris Cornell, you know is a good great singer in his own right, but Johnny just took this and, and took it to a different level. He did, and oh, I love I, what he does. This what I remember about Chris Cornell is Chris Cornell, you know, kowtow to this version. He yeah. said it was way better than his. Yeah. When the dogs are looking for their bones And it's raining ice picks on your steel shore I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my I'm gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break In the backup band, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers was well, as we read in the book, you know, Tom Petty became as infatuated as Rick Rubin. <laughs> exactly, did. yeah. And that he he looked at Johnny Cash as his idol. And, yeah. you know, somebody he really looked up to as an artist. So when when Rick came up with the idea, of course, you know, Tom Petty was all in. Sure. And it's just amazing how like you said, he was he literally was his career was over. Hey, you know, he had some success with the high women, but that was that was it. And you know, Rick Rubin was able to start giving him songs that he was able to start recording and and his versions are so unique and so different than the real versions. It's like um you know, he went up and doing the Trent Reznor and Nine Hurt. Inch Nails, which was Hurt. Right. Which is probably the one that a lot of people remember. Right. Uh, you played this one, and I honestly haven't heard this in probably 25 years. Um, but it's a great, it is a great song because of his interpretation. It is, but also, you know, he's got one of the all-time greatest bands behind him. I mean, that guitar that you hear, that's Mike Campbell. I mean, it's it's uh, Howie Epstein, it's it's, it's Ben Montench. It's, you know, it's the Heartbreaker band back there. And they, as, as Scott said, you know, they were huge fans of Johnny. So they definitely brought it. To, to the production and the performance that they put out there. And it, it's just so amazing how, how Johnny Cash was able to, to come back. And I was, I was so surprised to see that none of the songs charted because the recordings, those American recordings with Rick Rubin were hugely popular. And did he not win a Grammy? He may have. I, I mean, I know, I, you know, with Hurt, that that's the big one. Right. But it, it's, and this was off the second album. This was off of, uh, you know, uh, Unchained was the name of the album, American 2. And he just, you know, was, was churning these songs out. And they're 
Some of my favorite songs are the ones that didn't get released till after he passed away. What's great about that song that you just played is his voice is still really strong yeah. at that point. Right. Because by the time he starts doing the, the song Hurt, his health was in great decline. He was losing his breath. He was. It was very hard for him to record. Yeah. And it was. He would sometimes have to do like two or three words or a line at a time, and have to take a break. And what's the song when when the man comes around, which is like his final recording, and he is he's gasping for air. Yeah, and, and so the recording sessions took really really long time, uh, you know, for them to actually get something down that they could turn into a song. And but at this point, he is he's kind of fresh into this whole kind of reacclimatization to music as mm-hmm. far as other artists and it's rock so, so I mean, he's, he's he's not i mean yes he was johnny cash the great country star but that's you know that's a Soundgarden song it is and he's and he sounds great yeah he really does he's i mean the voice the voice is as good as johnny has ever been right so i, I think it's a crowning achievement for for a guy like rick rubin for what he wanted to do and and for what johnny was able to accomplish so there you go i broke my rule uh, the, with the last one, but you got to do it for yeah, Johnny I'm Cash. Glad, I'm glad you did because, yeah, you're right. You and I are are huge Johnny Cash fans. One of the few artists that you and I and our father can all agree upon. That, <laughs> just, I that, think he's the only one that we could put down. You know, we could put a Johnny Cash music on wherever, and all three of us would probably be able to sit in the same room and listen to it without somebody getting up and walking. I away. don't remember if I told this story. On the podcast. So if I did, forgive me, folks. We have a lot of episodes out there. <laughs> but, you know, Scott talked about our father. And I remember there was one time, well, I, I got our dad a Johnny Cash CD for, for Christmas. And I remember it was it was playing. He had it on. I walk into the room and and um, I remember I'm listening to him go and I go, yeah, Johnny, yeah, as he sings his line. A couple of minutes later, dad walks into the room. He goes, yeah, Johnny, yeah. I'm like, that's scary. <laughs> it's like, I don't know if I learned it from him or not, but it's like, I don't think we've ever done that with any other artist. Did that make you happy? Or? <laughs> I, yeah, you know, in a way, kind of did. It was like, wow, we actually connected on something. Yeah. yeah. He's he's not walking in saying, yeah, David Lee Roth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was never going to happen. That's right. Um, See, I'm actually working Van Halen into every episode. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, Rob Hyman. <laughs> the Hooters. All right. Anyway. Um, yeah. I mean, that was, that was, that was a lot of fun. I think. Gen Xers will agree, even though it's not a, a musical genre that really gets talked about much in our three decades era. But country music, you know, the country crossovers were a big part of the charts. Mm-hmm. And as as we showed, you know, there were, I think, when you hit the late 80s, that it kind of went away for a while. But through artists like Garth Brooks and Alan Jackson, and they, I think they started to make this revival. Clint and, Black, Randy Travis, they were part of that movement. They were. And even though they didn't necessarily, they weren't necessarily voices that we played on tonight's episode, I think they were instrumental in getting some of these other artists and these crossover hits uh, big time airplane. No, absolutely. And um, I, I think, you know, country music's popular again right now. And so it kind of goes in cycles. But, you know, for those of us, you know, who grew up in the Gen X era, I think we proved, you and I showed tonight, that there were many, many, many songs that did chart. Sure. So thank you. That was that was a lot of fun. And we uh, we got a lot of time out of that. <laughs> we yeah. got a lot of time out of that episode. We appreciate everybody listening uh, all the way through. 
and this is going to end up being a three-parter. So, uh, well, so that's going to conclude this. Uh, so now, as as always, we turn it over to to the other other member of the family here, the other brother. And so I'll say, Scott. So, what do you have planned for our next episode? So, Sean, what we have going is, and I wanted to make it a semi-regular part of our show because it has been so popular, and we did it twice before. And it's the name that tune, the Billboard charts. Mm-hmm. So, and I did talk to you about this a little bit before, and I, and I said we're probably going to do this like every ten episodes, where we'll bring it out and we'll pull up a chart. And you had said, well, we've already done two in the in the eighties. We should probably think about doing something else. So, uh, you know, you had decided, uh, you know, maybe Scott, maybe pick something from the nineties, right? So I thought, well, we told the story about when we were talking about sibling bands, and you had mentioned the band New Kids on the Block, and how mm-hmm. they had a song that came out in the summer of 1990 that was called Step by Step that you and I danced to. Right, and sang to. So it brought it brought back a good memory of, of us hanging out with our friends and just hanging out and having a good time. So why don't we dial back to that time period and we'll go to, let's say, we'll go to July 1st, 1990. Okay. As our Name That Tune billboard chart. So no peaking. <laughs> okay. Since you already know yep, what it is. Right, that's fine. But we'll go to the summer of 1990, which I think there's going to be a lot of good music in there. As you, uh, as New Jack Swing and glam metal and heavy metal, really, uh, you know, the charts are a nice eclectic mix. I think we're going to enjoy uh, going through all this. Songs. I am looking forward to that. So good, good, good to hear it. All right. So as always, we always appreciate you all for tuning in to the Gen X Playback Show. Even those unfortunate uh, listeners from the Atlanta, Georgia area, that we, uh, our sympathies go out to you. Yeah. You know, to to be a Phillies fan, you had to suffer through a lot of pain. And, uh, you know, we we understand exactly where you're, what you're living through right now. And the Dodgers. We have listeners out in LA, Baltimore. So we have listeners all around that just lost some big playoff baseball games. So, you know, better, better days are ahead. You guys have some great teams. And I'm sure we'll see you back in the playoffs again next year. But in the meantime, sit back and we thank you for listening to the Gen X Playback Show. Yeah. And as you know, we say all the time, please subscribe. If you haven't done so already, please like the episode. And if you can, give us a, a high rating. It uh, does help us go up in the rankings. So once again, um, if you go on to Spotify, my playlist is listed under Country Crossovers. Right. And my uh Playlist is listed under Gen X Country Crossover. All right, check them out and go back and revisit some really good artists from days gone by. So once again, we thank you for listening to the Gen X Playback Show. We are the Brothers High. I'm Scott. And I'm Sean. We'll talk to you later. See ya.